0: What they really need is advice, uh, whether that's from an internal source, an external source, somebody with the understanding of the problem that says, if this were to break or go down, what would be the impact on our business? If uh, you know, if they're not already aware, what does it cost to keep this alive, and, and is there you know an end on the horizon that they, for whatever reason, be it support or you know other reasons, that that tool is going to cease to function in the way it is. The big question is, how can you fix and transform your organization's most
1: important foundation, your software, into an asset which allows you to become better every single day? Each department is at its best when it can smoothly, efficiently, and productively operate. And to do that, you need to pay attention to the lifeblood of your organization your software. The custom software creation geniuses at Architect Now are presenting this podcast as a way to help leaders think more strategically about their software and to roadmap what needs to happen in order to be at the top of their game. No, this podcast is not going to scramble your brain by talking about DevOps or API calls. Our goal on this show is to make you better by giving you the high-level insights that you need so you can better make decisions that will not only be cost-effective, but will help your team on an intangible level, as well as a technical one. Welcome to Newsflash, your software company. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Newsflash, your software company. I'm one of your hosts, Corey Durkin, along with me is Mr. Don Jacobs-Meyer and Mr. Kevin gross of Architect Now. And we are going to talk to you today about solutions for businesses that have legacy software. In the first episode, we talked about what kind of risks people are facing, how hard it is to find people to fix those bugs and those loopholes and those issues that occur with legacy software. And today we're going to dive into more of the how to's. What can you do if you are a CEO, a CTO, a C-suite executive, Or maybe just somebody in the company that wants to ring the alarm bell and say, hey, we might be headed towards a cliff and it's a lot harder to fix the problem when we are diving off of the cliff in midair and we only have a few minutes to fix it before we hit the ground. So, Kevin, talk to me a little bit about what happens when someone is aware that they have an issue with legacy software. They know that there's this end of life you know. Conversation that's creeping up on them, like we talked about in the last episode, and what are some of the first things that a business owner or a someone in the in a CTO type position needs to be thinking about when it comes to getting out of that precarious situation?
0: There's a lot of things that go into that, uh, and a lot of it depends on their technical level of understanding of the problem itself. Uh, we find that a lot of people in that position they they anecdotally know. They've either been told by others, or they 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 write the checks every month on how costly something is to support. But what they really need is advice, uh, whether that's from an internal source, an external source, somebody with the understanding of the problem that says, if this were to break or go down, what would be the impact on our business? If uh, you know, if they're not already aware, what does it cost to keep this alive? And, and is there you know an end on the horizon that they, for whatever reason, be it support or you know other reasons, that that tool is going to cease to function in the way it is. Um, other things come down to just getting advice on what are some possible paths forward. Uh, those paths forward might not be, as, as we mentioned in the last episode, as impactful as you'd think. Uh, we, we're, we're involved in discussions like that all the time where people say, hey, we've got this thing. We know it's old. What can we do? Uh, we, we kind of gather the, the necessary troops on their end and our end, and we, we do a review, and we say, hey, this might not be as bad as you think. You know, it's, It can be done in phases. You know, We can you can keep what you have for a couple of years and new stuff we'll do on a new platform. So it just starts to eventually roll from old to new and, and your upfront cost is a little lower or significantly lower in the fact that live with what you have for a bit longer while we start to reinvent the wheel and do newer platforms on the side. Uh, so we can work in phases. We can, we can point out what risks and, and other people that give you this advice may have similar things, right? They, they could say, you, don't, you know, the biggest risk is this one temple. If we're able to fix that one tent pole, uh, you've got another five or six years easily out of the software. Uh, and there's all kinds of options in the middle uh, that we sit down and tell people. This is things you should consider. Sometimes it is, uh, you know, the the nuclear bomb that we just need to throw it away and start over. And you need to do that now because there's major major risks. But those recommendations from our standpoint are very rare. Rarely do we tell someone you need to throw it away right now and rewrite it right now. And I think that's a fear that people have is when they do get that advice that is going to come back and that's what they're going to hear. And the reality is that's rarely what anyone hears. We, we realize the the business value of software. We realize the financial impact that's throwing away and and just starting over from scratch. And we mentioned a lot of options last time, like there's off the shelf products that could be a big chunk of your movement forward uh, in finding the right people to come in and evaluate the landscape, ask the right questions, and say, you know, here's option A, B, and C, and here's why they differ, um, and here's what they might cost, what they, you know, this could be done in a month, this could be done in a year. Uh, Companies uh, that that focus on solving these types of problems would be able to answer those questions.
1: And when you talk about fixing that one tent pole, you know, I think about the idea of Finding that lead domino, you know, Tim Ferriss in the four hour work week talks a lot about when you're looking at your to do list, if you can look at all the 20 items on your to do list, and find the one lead domino that if you're able to knock that one down, makes everything else after that um, easier, and some things unnecessary a phrase that Don might recognize. Um, When you're looking at that kind of conversation. Where do you identify that one tentpole? How do you go through that exploratory process to find that one lead domino with a client?
0: A lot of times they guide us there. Uh, We sit down with them or they give us the the, the appropriate amount of access to the right people on their team or to the right technical assets. And they say, this is the, the, the thing they a lot of times there's somebody on site already that knows what that domino is and we don't have to go, you know, evaluate 200 dominoes to find the one. They're like, this is the risk. If this thing right here was better, uh, we would be better in their mind. So we are kind of pointed at the right area of the maze out of the box. It's not always the case. Sometimes it's, it's a little more Sherlock Holmes and Watson starting at the beginning and, you know, asking all the right questions and trying to find our way there in the dark, but uh, these people live with that software every day. The other people have been supporting that software for if it's really legacy and it's been around for any number of years, they've had problems with it and they know where those problems all centralized. So well, we start there. And what if you're a, a CEO
1: or a CTO who who just doesn't know that? They they really don't have an idea. They know they have a problem, but they're really unclear about um, what might be possible. If, if If you have a CEO who is sitting there going, I'm really not sure what our issue is with this software. What kinds of questions would you ask to start moving that conversation into a place of clarity?
0: A lot of times, you know, if they really don't have someone to guide us there, it comes down to just opening your doors, you know, letting us peek behind the curtain at at the, the machines that make it run, give us access to your source code, your database sometimes just knowing the technologies and the architecture that your current product if it's if it's a custom written legacy solution we can quickly glance, glance through source code and do and run some you know automated scans or tools and say well wow, you're using this and we used that 10 years ago and we know that there's better solutions and that's a really bad solution you know i mean not that it was at the time but as time passed and, and technologies evolved there's been whatever security reason or otherwise where people said, you know, let's not use that anymore. And if you're on it, time to get off it. Sometimes that is the case that you don't really need to know that yourself. We're technologists. We have that information. It's much like mechanics working on cars. They can they know what old cars they worked on a lot that were really difficult and broke down a lot. So when they see somebody with it, they know that that person's at risk because they're using the same old car that they find in the shop all the time. So sure. they warn them. So that, that does happen. But if we're granted access and can peek around uh, and we are familiar with your architectures and technologies, we've got enough experience at, in sort of many firms like ourselves that that we've likely, at some point in our careers done things very similar, and we now know what we would do today versus then so we can draw that comparison and say, this is a risk you have. Sure, sure, absolutely. And this you- is
2: also just to add on to that a little bit uh, outside of the technical consideration. This is also the use case where if they don't know what their biggest risk is uh, around a legacy solution, that tells us something. That tells us that there's no one in that organization that's technical enough to understand what this is, which means that they haven't adopted the narrative that you know, even if your business model is XYZ, that doesn't mean you're not a software company. So again, like a full circle, there is a conversation that I always bring up early on that I know we're going to revisit, you know, three months from now, six months from now, nine months from now, 18 months from now to remind them that, look, I'm going to start planting seeds and pushing you to really adopt this mentality that if you have no one in your organization that depends on a tool that provides, you know, a meaningful percentage of your revenue annually, and you don't know how to keep it alive, or like what the health of it is, that's a problem.
1: It's a huge problem. It's a huge problem. And so like you said, you can you can identify that pretty quickly by asking that question. Now, another thing that you mentioned is the idea of the cost of keeping this alive. And I think that there's a a large scenario where somebody who is aware that they have a legacy software that is nearing the end of life is trying to understand what it's costing them now. In other words, you know the difference between um, what it's going to cost them to fix it versus how they're bleeding cash just to keep something alive. And sometimes bleeding cash doesn't necessarily just mean fixing the software, but it also means lost efficiency, lost productivity. So how do you recommend that a business think about the idea of the cost of keeping their current solutions alive versus what it looks like to explore new horizons?
0: I mean, I think it really comes down to sometimes it's just technology. I came about that earlier in my answer from a technology standpoint. Hey, you're on this technology. There's you know risk to that for technological reasons. But if you sit and, and you know we've got a customer that's that's trying to answer these questions right now that's unfortunately just whole companies down for some nefarious reasons that weren't necessarily their responsibility. But you say what you might have twenty of your internal employees using a piece of software that they rely on to be efficient and do their day-to-day work. And if that software breaks, or uh, for some reason they show up to work tomorrow and, and that tool is not available to them, what is the financial impact of that? Or that tool is responsible for generating revenue for you, whether you're selling it as a service to consumers or other businesses, you generate X revenue a year on it, and you know the risk is if it's not backed up correctly or it's not maintained correctly, at some point you know there's something that a bug or something other for whatever reason it goes down uh, your users leave there's that you know you can't really build that trust back up if you lose backups of data you can't build that trust back up and that's it you know the right people you know doesn't take a lot of number crunching in excel to figure out what the impact of those dollars would be i'm paying this much salary to 20 employees and they can't work for a week what does that equate in dollars if that happened that's my exposure or You know, we generate maybe software as a service, $100,000 a month in licenses. And if that software went down for three weeks, would $100,000 a month in revenue content with those people just find a solution with a a competitor and leave because they don't trust you. You've lost that, the trust of your customer. So straight dollars in that sense, you can crunch the numbers and say, we rely on this for this reason and we generate this much money on it. And if that went away, how would we get that back?
1: Absolutely. And another thing you talked about, again, we're we're focused on sort of the solutions for somebody that has legacy software and is aware of um, the fact that they need to maybe make some changes. One of the things you described earlier is the fact that you can do it in phases. Um, So rolling from an old platform to a new platform. Um, I would say that. That sounds nice, right, to be able to do it in phases, but that also sounds terrifying. And I think that, you know, a CTO or a CEO that thinks about the idea of slowly rolling out to a new system is kind of flying blind in terms of what those steps are and how they can be guided down that path. So when we're thinking about solutions for someone to move into the new, tell me a little bit about what's possible when it comes to rolling something out in phases in a way that doesn't cause PTSD, uh, as, as much as possible and is, is a way to kind of roll from the old to the new in a way that isn't super scary, uh, and, and keeps sort of the, the mechanics of the business intact.
0: And, and any given customer, the, the concept of phase. you're right. It, it doesn't, it's not something that certain customers can wrap their mind around easily. Uh, and certain technologies or certain modernization patterns fit. You know, if you're on old technology X, you're, you you know, it's easier to go to new technology X in phases than to have a major left turn. Uh, even when there's this opportunity to use a partial off-the-shelf product, that's still possible in phases. But realistically, at times, when we've, we've had success doing this, we've been able to go behind the scenes or under the hood, if you will, and start to take chunks that made sense, a whole features, or or if it's a website, you know, we could do areas of the application or different, you know, web pages and replace them with with a modern implementation in such a way that they still, to some degree, look and feel the same to the end user. So we are uh, eating away at that technical debt, which we mentioned on our our last talk together, uh, that technical debt that's causing these risks and this added cost, we're able to go under the hood and take chunks of it and modernize it a piece at a time so that for some duration, a year, for example, there may be users every day using this tool and 80% of what they're using is still the old thing from five or 10 years ago, but 20% without them knowing it has been modernized under the seats, under the hood. So, and over time, without them knowing it, new releases come about. We're able to you know launch new versions. in each new version, a little bit more of that technical debt has been eaten away. and it's it's more there's, modern. Oh, good
2: and so the strategy is to do this, right? So, like there's sort of quarantining where you section off the really bad stuff that is just dangerous to touch. and you start to pay back that technical debt at the easier stuff so that when you know this other section that is now healthy and modern it's actually easier to pay back this quarantined section or wholesale replace it with something uh because everything else is far more accepting of that replacement um you know the phased approach can be scary if you don't know the alternative and the alternative is build build the new version all at once and then you know say a prayer and flip the switch where you cut over and hope that it doesn't explode. You know if you that's the whole reason we're having so many issues with like our US electrical grid. Like we couldn't just wholesale replace the electrical grid with anything whether it's hamsters on a wheel or nuclear power. It would have to happen in phases, right? So right. that's scary, but that's better than some magical moment where we flip a switch.
1: And I think that you're right. The idea of you know flipping that switch in one fell swoop is a surefire way to get very close to an explosion. And I think the idea of trying to avoid the nuclear bomb is uh, what we're really talking about when it comes to fixing the infrastructure that any kind of business has with their current IT landscape. Um, tell me a little bit about any other possible solutions to the scenario that somebody has of legacy software is there a is there a an example um of a client that you've worked with recently or or a, a really good story that kind of illustrates the solutions that are out there that you provide for a client when they are aware that they have this problem they're ready to have the conversations with you they're ready to go through the phasing out of the old and into the new. Um, that can kind of be illustrative from a from a technical perspective of what we're describing here as we wrap up this episode.
0: I mean, there's many, many anecdotes and many examples of of successful migrations. And uh, just to, to belabor one of the points we just made, if somebody, even though your app is is legacy. It, it might still work, and the customers, you know you've you've kept it together with you know band-aids and duct tape over the years, and it's stable to some degree. So you mentioned you know there 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 is that fear of a phased approach versus the atomic. Just throw it away and launch a new one. So January one of next year, the old goes away, the new one works. Uh, that that old goes away. new one works is a much bigger risk because all the bugs and kinks haven't been worked out of that new thing. as it, solid as a development team you might have or partners. Uh, a lot is found when customers get their their hands on software for the first time. So if you can do it in phases, it works much easier that you've only replaced a little piece. You know, the, the 10% gets replaced this version. 90% is still stable to some degree. might be old, might be risky, but it's customers are familiar with it and it works. So now you're only really working out the kinks of this 10%. That stays out there for a month or so. Then another 10%. Slowly you, you keep customers happy and like, Don said, there's patterns and practices. Do you do the easy stuff or the hard stuff? But, and that's what we found. The big thing that that I could say where we've had the best success is really just being creative and collaborative with the customers from a business level, not a technology level and answering those questions. If we were to replace this, what would have the most value to you, the least impact on your customers? And then again, we mentioned last time, do you want it to do the same thing today? Are we just redrawing the same painting with modern, you know, watercolors, or are we going to do something better? Should it work the same way? Is there optimizations that your customers would love? So as you're releasing updates, whether they're to to customers outside your organization or employees, is you know, are you really understanding their needs and saying, hey, you might have been doing it this way for five years, but we've we've listened to you, we've heard you, you don't want to do it that way, you'd really like this feature set to work this way to make your everyone here at the company's job so much easier and so much more efficient and less error prone. So don't just rewrite for rewrite sake from a technology focus, understand your user and what they need. And as you're migrating, you know, make those changes, add those features, remove things that aren't used anymore, you know, rename things that need renamed Uh, where we've had the most success is that the end user doesn't see it as a technology migration. They don't even, that's not a term that they would even be familiar with. They don't see it as, hey, we're solving technical debt behind the scenes. The end user sees it as an evolution. You know, somebody serving their needs and giving them a better tool. We're, you know, taking the technology evolution as an opportunity to give them a better tool. So creativity and how we do that and and how it should look in the end and move it forward. And what are we using third party things and tying them together? All of those things still apply, but we're doing it for a net positive. And in the adoption of that, in the the understanding that a a customer gives you if they do find a bug is much better if they are under the impression, in the rightful impression that they are getting, we are doing this for their benefit to give them more value and more capabilities. Not just that it worked yesterday, we decided we were going to go change some stuff behind the scenes, and now it doesn't work. If there is, you know, unfortunately a bug found, they're like, well, why don't we just keep what was there before? We were happy with it, even though it might be at risk.
1: So. Don, you had something to add about that?
2: Yeah. Um, you know, when, when we're asked to review applications, like recently we had a customer that gave us a whole list of apps to review and ultimately answer this question, like, what do we do about these? So there's a big, long list. Some of them were written, you know, three years ago. Some of them were written 10 years ago. Um after a lot of discussion, we discovered that we'll shoot three of these. They don't even use anymore. Cool. Let's we can stop talking about those. We don't we don't need to rebuild that. they are not using it anymore, right? No one's logged into it in the last five years. Check. Uh, the next ones, yeah, these are super old. Um, occasionally, people still go into this, but no one's entering data anymore. You know, it's really just kind of a read-only. Um, store of data okay well we don't need to rewrite an application to allow people to just go and like look some stuff up that's historical now we're looking strongly in the you know buy category what tool exists already that can serve that that can suit these needs without us exploring you know rewriting a custom app not just because it's going to save them money up front but it's going to be one less app they got to maintain over time Uh, then we get into, okay, well, this is an app, it's custom, people are in here every day, they're, you know, adding and editing data, they may have integrations with other systems. Now we can get into, yeah, you, we need to at least upgrade this, if not uh, do a full sort of migration of some kind. And there may be some early wins we can buy some time with, if we need to sort of think about okay what is the future of this app is this really a rewrite scenario or is this just the underlying infrastructure is old and we just kind of need to move it um you know those are also discussions that we've had as of late as you know more people look to go to the cloud by uh turning off their on-prem infrastructure because it's old and outdated and it doesn't make sense to just keep renewing it um you know, we've had discussions around, well, we don't need to really rewrite this, but we, we do need to get it off this infrastructure because it is costing us money. The app is fine, but the servers need to go away because we're paying extra for the additional long-term support.
1: Yep. And I think that that's a really good way to explain that, you know, sort of the the difference between what Architect now does and what I think a lot of other people do is um, other people will just kind of look at the code base and make very technical recommendations that can cannibalize a lot of other pieces of how that company operates. What I think you all do so well is you treat it just like a therapy session. You know, you're thinking about it from the standpoint of a a really holistic approach. What you're describing in this episode and sort of the solutions that are available for someone that has legacy software is a very holistic approach where you're not only getting under the hood of what's wrong or right technically, but you're getting under the hood of what's good and bad for the business and how do we do this in a way that has the least amount of interruption the straightest line from a to z but doing so in a way that allows everything to continue as basically as it was prior right and and sort of you know kevin's point about if you're doing it correctly some uh, the end user is not even aware of what the migration is you know they're not even aware that there's a big changeover. They just see it as the evolution and Hey, this works a little better than it did a couple of weeks ago. And then a few weeks later, they notice that somewhere else. And they go, Oh, this is great. And their workflow is not, not interrupted at all. So I think that's a great way. Uh, I think that's a great place to leave this episode, um, uh, which I think will be called avoiding the nuclear bomb, how to save your software without selling your soul. And, uh, we are very appreciative of your time and we'll see you on the next episode.
0: Sounds good. Thank you. Thanks, Corey.
1: This podcast is presented to you by Architect Now. Whether launching new cloud or mobile apps or modernizing your legacy platforms, Architect Now can help you identify the best options and work with you to bring those ideas to life. If you like the information in this podcast, we can assure you it is only a fraction of the actionable wisdom and insights you will gain by talking to the team at Architect Now. To learn more and start a conversation, visit us on the web at www.architectnow.net. We'll see you on the next episode of the Newsflash You're a Software Company podcast.